Welcome to the Empowering Grace Podcast. The following sermon is by Joe McIntyre, Bible teacher, author of nine books, and pastor for more than 35 years. We've picked one of his greatest hits to share with you today. A full transcript of this episode, plus other resources, are available at empoweringgrace.org. May you know the goodness of God in a fresh, new way today. Here's Pastor Joe. The Lord's been speaking to me about in our fight of faith over various things that we inevitably encounter, life, uh, the inevitability of trials is something that takes Christians forever to learn. <laughs> Somehow, their, their glimpse of heaven uh, has, has spoiled them to reading the New Testament in the light of the, of the warfare that constantly goes on. And when a strange thing's ha- thing happens, we often say, why is this strange thing happening to me? When the word says... Think it not strange, my brethren, when fiery trials come against you. And, um, and somehow we have the mindset that, that um, if, if we're going through difficulties, then either God's mad at us or we've done some horrible thing that's opened the door to the devil. And the sooner we shed ourselves of those traditional grave clothes, the happier life will be. Because the Bible doesn't promise you happiness, it promises you joy. And joy is sustaining through all difficulties and trials if, <clears throat> if we look not at the things which are seen, but look at the things which are unseen. And uh, after you learn this, uh, and you begin to renew your mind to who you are in Christ, you begin to use the word of God uh, effectively, <clears throat> Many people notice um, that they've never realized the subtlety of the attacks of fear that come against them. And of course, I want to start with a familiar passage, which is First Timothy <clears throat> uh, one seven. First, first Tim- pardon me, First Timothy one seven. No. Yes, yeah, Second Timothy. I'm sorry. Second uh, <clears throat> Timothy one seven, familiar verse. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. Uh, this this great statement, you know, I would have to say that yeah, oh, I'm familiar with that. I could talk about it, teach about it, blah blah blah. But the reality is God intends us to actually live free from fear. And it's so normal among people that, um, that we don't even realize that we've been programmed to fear. Um, shyness is programmed fear. Uh, there's many, many things that are really fear programmed. And, and uh, the Lord's really been showing me that uh, in the area of healing... Controlling your imagination and your thoughts is very essential because there's an army of of demonic forces uh, working to bring fear into your life. And I heard Kenneth Copeland say something that I thought was brilliant. And he said, uh, fear tolerated 
Is faith contaminated? Yeah, that's a good nugget. And um, we all want to be free of contaminated faith. And and um, one of the things that we can do. Thank you. One of the things we can do to facilitate that is ask the Holy Spirit to show us any place that we're giving place to fear. Um, say, for example, if you're believing for your husband to be turned around and walk with God or, uh, or your wife to have an encounter with God or your children to meet with God or whatever it is you're believing for, healing, financial needs, whatever you're believing for, there is a systematic uh, fear attack coming against you. And um, much of it you don't see till you realize what you're giving place to in your mind. You don't realize or you don't, you don't recognize that fear is coming against you. And fear tolerated is faith contaminated. So we don't want to tolerate fear if it's a great enemy to us receiving what we're looking to God for. So we have to uproot it. <clears throat> but now the good news is, is um, God ordained it for us to do that. To be conformed to the image of Christ and have, have uh, power, love, and a sound mind controlling us. But I want to back up a little bit on this. I'm really actually getting a little ahead here. But if you back up to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, <coughs> and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Now, <clears throat> Sometimes I think much of the church really doesn't understand this, but from the time of the fall till, till the time of Christ's resurrection, fear uh, had access to man through the power of death. Uh, uh, you remember in the garden, you know, God had said, in the day you eat of this, you shall die. And... Uh, uh, the devil's lie was, you shall not surely die. Direct contradiction of what God had said. And uh, the Lord uh, released Adam to death, both physical and spiritual. And the one, it says here, had the dominion of it until the resurrection was the devil. And so the fear of death is the root fear. You know, people amazing how much they'll change if they're threatened with death you know they can totally uh, you know when people get the word that they've got a terminal disease it's amazing how they begin to reevaluate their values and things because that that fear drives them <clears throat> and uh it says he had the, the uh, power of death the, the inter it's an interesting greek word i'm if i'm not mistaken it's the only place where this word isn't used of God or the saints. It's a word kratos, which means dominion, the power to subdue. And um, 
a very strong word, and it says he had the power to subdue with death and then use the fear of death to control people. So uprooting fear in your life is, is one of the most powerful things that can happen. And I'm finding myself uh, catching all kinds of fears. You know, you might have fear of man. You might have fear of uh, all kinds of, of things in life. You know, well, I could never do that. Well, what is that? That's a fear. And so when you find yourself thinking fear thoughts, you can take authority over them and subdue them. And, and, and we should because uh, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. He's given us a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. So I find myself saying, I don't have to fear when I catch one of those thoughts. I say, no, I refuse that. I'm not going to fear. And, um, uh, but but the, the idea here that the power of death was held by Satan and uh, he no longer has the right to torment us with fear ought to motivate us to stand up against the subtle thoughts that come. I got a job interview and I'm afraid. Anything in life that's there, you know, you've got these ideas and you say, no, I am delivered out of the authority of darkness. I have been translated into the kingdom of God's son. And you say, I'm not going to accept fear. Now, the fascinating thing is in the walk of faith, sometimes you have to affirm something while you're feeling the opposite. You, you, you say, I am free from fear, and you find yourself feeling afraid. Well, one thing you should recognize is your fears or your emotions are not necessarily reality. What's true in your spirit is what's true. And many, we've all, as I say, been conditioned to fear. But I believe it's time that we take a stand against fear, not allowing fear to, to intimidate, to dominate, to keep us away from... How many things do you think godly people have not entered into because of fear that God had ordained for them to walk in? I mean, it would be probably horrendous if we knew. So he says, for indeed he does not give aid to the angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Uh, let's back up to verse 15. Uh, well, let's back up to verse 14. That through death he might destroy. Now, that's a, you know, I don't know why the King James or the New King James translated the word destroy. It doesn't mean destroy. It means uh, render powerless. Which, which so much more tells the story because the devil isn't destroyed but he's powerless to us if we'll take our place and so he says um, who had the power of death the dominion of the death that is the devil and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. The, the whole unsaved humanity is living in fear. They don't know it, and most Christians, when they get <clears throat> born again, 
they release, they find themselves released in some measure, but what we're really talking about here is re renewing our mind to what belongs to us, which is freedom from fear. And um, uh, the bondage here, or the X, that word is better translated slavery. That slavery there to fear is something that uh, so many of us still, still need deliverance from. Now let's look over in Romans chapter 8. I'm just getting a few scriptures here. I was debating whether to teach this today or Sunday morning. I'll probably teach it again Sunday morning. <laughs> this is, so I'm rehearsing this morning. That's right. I won't hear any of us to hear it more than once. Romans 8 and um, 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are <clears throat> children of God. Um, <clears throat> notice that you did not receive the spirit of slavery again to fear. Now, a side note here is Paul is talking about going back under the law. Because the law, you know, oh, I did the wrong thing. Or fear of, uh, fear of doing things opens the door to the thing itself. And, um, and our spirit of sonship, adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Part of the answer to fear is knowing you're loved by God. You see, much of the fears the devil has used come in the form of condemnation, guilt, shame, intimidation, all those things. And um, we don't recognize it because it's put in a form that we so are accustomed to our own thoughts telling us these things that we don't recognize that the enemy is bringing thoughts of, of uh, well, you're inadequate. Well, you're not very good at this. Well, you're not a good speaker. You're not a anything. You're, you know, the, the list goes on and on. Uh, but I want you just to hear one thing today. I don't have to have fear. Because if that is the seed that comes into your heart today, it will create a militancy, faith, that says... I'm going to stand against fear. I'm not going to give place to fear. Well, well what, if I do, what if I do give place to it? Repent and start over. Because God will remember your sins and lawless deeds no more. And um, you want to get back up and press on. But you didn't receive a spirit of slavery to fear. <clears throat> now, when I uh, was teaching a lot on deliverance, one of the things that came out in one of our retreats was that after you're delivered or saved, the enemy tries to bring back every stronghold and thought, because they're broken usually the moment you're saved. But because your mind isn't renewed and the same thoughts start coming, the spirit of bondage again unto fear tries to make you fear you'll go back into habitual sin and keeps working on you with this fear till the door is opened and you give place to it. And uh, 
The same thing's true with any of these other areas that uh, we break through in. Um, the devil always comes with a counterattack. And um, we need to recognize that. We, we teach this a lot in, in the healing uh, uh, center. You know, if you receive healing and, a, and a, an attack comes, stand against you because it's just the devil trying to bring back your disease. And we have to understand that that truth is broader than physical healing. It's, it, it, uh, you start to get a revelation of God's covenant for finances, and you start to give and sow and move into a spirit of uh, the grace of giving, and the enemy immediately attacks your finances and uh, makes you want to back off from your giving because he knows if you persist and, and keep acting, it will release the covenantal blessings of God. So he doesn't. So when you first step into it, he, he, that's when he comes. That's the parable of the sower. The sower sows the word. Satan comes immediately. Um, <clears throat> now let's look in Isaiah chapter uh, 41. When I first uh, began the fight for my healing... This is one of the verses the Lord gave me, and I'm starting to... Have you ever had that, that uh, feeling like, yeah, Lord, I know that verse, and, you know, thank you. And then a couple of years later, you start to realize that you thought you knew that verse, but you're operating contrary to it, and yeah. Well, Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. And I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Fear not, for I am with you. You know, I'm, it's, there's a battle over every word God speaks to you. And uh, if God is with me, how can I fear? Is he not going to know what to do in a, in a crisis? Be not dismayed. Don't be anxious, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. Yes, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And uh, <coughs> verse 13, For I, the Lord your God, will hold your right hand, saying to you, Fear not, I will help you. <clears throat> now, just getting a hold of these verses and um, facing fear with them. Uh, now, in the area, I want, I, because I'm walking this out in the area of physical healing, the doctor's reports, the turns for the worse in some areas, the setbacks, uh, all of those things create a fear. And... Um, I have just had this wonderful release since I started addressing all those fears. Um, and uh, it isn't so much that, see, they're subtle, though. It's just the truth, naturally speaking. And the doctors, you know, the doctors, I bless them. And I, I'm thankful for all the help they can give. But they've got to give you a worst-case scenario 
because they could be uh, they could be sued for malpractice if they if they don't tell the worst possible scenario. Well, what does that do to you when this person in authority speaks speaks? Well, um, some people, you know, like I, I had a, a, a doctor give me a diagnosis for a, a, I think you need a heart transplant. And I mean, here you go. But the funny thing is, it just put me over the edge. And I said, no, we're not going there. And um, <laughs> I'm going to go see him shortly and... and uh, the, the last time I had an exam from him, uh, my heart was normal, and actually in s some cases now above normal. And so, what, what if I just said, well, you're the doctor, you know, go ahead and give me a new kidney and a new heart. And, and um, I'm not suggesting that if you haven't heard from God about something that you should necessarily just ignore the doctor's result or uh, whatever. But what I am saying is words create faith or fear. And um, bad reports, um, you know, uh, I know people get really freaked out when, when their car repair is uh, diagnosed at such and such, you know. It's going to be $700. And they're just, they're just where am I going to get the money? How am I going to do this? And they finally get it done, and the, the guy says, well, you know, it was just this one little thing out of place here, and we don't need to replace that thing. And, you know, if you're trusting God for your needs to be met, you don't have to be intimidated by fear by circumstances. And um, God is with you. God, God will help you. He'll strengthen you. He'll uphold you with the right hand of his righteousness. Now that's a great phrase because um, victorious living is to a large degree based on our, the depth of our revelation of the gift of righteousness. You, you, you approach God boldly in direct proportion to your uh, apprehension of your ability to stand in the presence of God without condemnation or fear or a sense of inferiority. You come to him as your father, and as you do that, uh, you uh, stand on his word with him backing you. And, um, and it's his righteousness. <coughs> He'll uphold you with the... Uh, right, his righteous right hand. Now, turn over to Isaiah 54. Yeah, I think I will just continue this Sunday. <clears throat> Isaiah 54. Um, 14. In righteousness you shall be established. You shall be far from oppression. For you shall not fear. Now, do you see the relationship here? In righteousness, you'll be established. You won't fear. So oppression won't come near you. You'll be far from it. And from terror, for it shall not come near you. 
um, established in righteousness, far from fear. In other words, there's a relationship between uh, being established in righteousness and being far from fear. And the result is uh, oppression and terror can't come near you. And sometimes I just remind the devil that I'm established in righteousness. And so I'm far from oppression and from terror. Um, your Redeemer, he, well, he goes on verse, uh, sure, uh, verse 15. Indeed, they shall surely assemble, but not because of me. Whoever assembles against you shall fall for your sake. Behold, <clears throat> I have created the blacksmith who blows the coals in the fire, who, who brings forth an instrument for his work. And I have created the spoiler to destroy. No weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. Uh, I, I have been convinced uh, since the early days of my Christian walk when I read E.W. Kenyon's book, The Two Kinds of Righteousness, that the church really does not understand righteousness that it's a gift of grace it's a participation in the divine nature it's the it's the righteousness of god given to us romans 5:17 uh says that if we receive the overflowing grace of god and the gift of righteousness we'll reign in life you see but um we we just we just have to take the time to meditate in the word so that it becomes deepened within us. <clears throat> we oftentimes are satisfied with an intellectual comprehension of teaching. And, uh, you know, if the church, uh, let's just say that the people who have been in this church over the last 20 or so years took what they heard and were actually walking in it, it, the, the whole state would be saved because it would fire us up so much to know that you're able to stand in the presence of a holy God and uh, he does not condemn you. But you've got a, a newly created spirit. Look in, um, what did I say? Hebrews um, 12, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> he talks about us coming unto Mount Zion. Verse 22. Hebrew 12, 20, Hebrews 12, 22. He says, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, and of the spirits of men, the spirits of just men, made perfect. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. 
Now he says, you've come to God the judge of all. So it couldn't be a scarier concept to, to think about. God the judge of all. And he says, you have come to God the judge of all. And he says, uh, to, the other, to the company of, of righteous spirits made perfect. You have partaken of God's perfection on your inside inner man, your human spirit. And he says, you're in the presence of God, the judge of all, where the blood of Jesus speaks more powerfully than the blood of condemnation that Abel spoke. Or uh, uh, was spoken. Um, But... um, This is remarkable to get into your heart. I can come before God, the judge of all. My sins and lawless deeds, he will remember no more. I can come in a full assurance of faith, having my heart sprinkled by the blood of Christ. Full assurance, confidence. That that if I'm going to petition him, I've got confidence. Uh, If I'm just going to worship him and fellowship with him, I've got confidence because the judge of all is satisfied by the blood of his son and uh, that's another thing that would be I I just can't understand how preachers can't find something to preach you know I got just just on the rabbit trails I could go another six weeks you know the blood of Jesus what a theme that is Uh, oh I am I, I plead guilty. Um, but there's so much in that in that passage. But what I want you to know is that uh, God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of righteous men made perfect. He, he puts God, the judge of all, and the spirits of righteous men made perfect together. Now, a lot of people want to make that when I get to heaven, you see. But he says, you have come. And, and, and if that wasn't applying to you, what would you do in the face of the God, the judge of all? If that wasn't describing your standing with him, you see, as a new creation. So, anyway, that was a little, little uh, rabbit trail. Um, The other. Is that weak come at the point of salvation, Joe? Yeah, well, he does describe a maturing process. Uh, but uh, it, the, the seed of it, the essence of it, is given in the new birth. Yeah. Um, I wanted to look at um, another Isaiah verse. This is just hammer you with. Good news. It's uh, Isaiah 43. And let's see. Yes. First verse. But now says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by my, your name, and you are mine. 
When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I, the, the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior, I gave you Egypt for your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in your place. Since you were precious in my sight, you have been honored, and I have loved you. Therefore, I, I will give men for you and people for you. Fear not, for I am with you. Again, uh, and Israel, you know, doesn't have a real great history of walking in perfect obedience to the covenant. And uh, how it, it's, it's, you know, people say, well, the Old Testament is law, the New Testament is grace, yet there's a great flood of revelation of grace in the Old Testament. I mean, Israel, God forgave them again and again and, and uh, listened to the intercessors and, and, and did many things that if, if it was strictly a legalistic heart, it would have been, you're out of here. But you see, God is, is merciful. And actually, the highest revelation of God in the Old Testament is his mercy. And... Uh, Actually, that's what Jesus came to reveal, the, the, the hidden mercy of God. Because of sin changing our consciousness, we could not behold the goodness of God. I mean, think of this. The, the Pharisees trained for years and years to love God. And, and the first commandment, to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And uh, their whole attitude was to when love manifested, when the mercy of God manifested, came into their presence, they rejected him. They could not see because religion had blinded their eyes. They were so caught in, in human works. And, you know, we, go, we do that a lot in, in, a, in another way, and it's just kind of motivated by guilt. We try to perform better. In other words, if I could perform well enough, God would love me. If I could perform well enough, he'd accept me. But that's what, Paul, uh, that's what the Lord was trying to get away from. He wanted people just to accept his love and let him change them. And sometimes we get that clear when we're telling that to the lost, but we don't get it clear ourselves. Uh, God once spoke to me and he said, Don't run from me with your sin. Run to me. Why? Because... The longer I stay in condemnation, the less I'm doing to get better. <clears throat> so we had to declare war on condemnation, which is what? Fear. So all it is is fear. Fear of rejection by God. Uh, and then self-rejection is uh, uh, telling myself I don't deserve love. And um, which is another kind of fear. So, so um, this is kind of a major area of subtlety of warfare. Really, uh, where I want to, most of us don't have a lot of crazy irrational fears because we've looked to the Lord to get some freedom from that and we're getting stronger in faith and those kinds of things. And a lot of fears just drop off. But as we progress in God and insist on possessing all of God that we can have, 
we find subtler fears coming to us. And you don't realize you're even thinking them. And that's where asking the Holy Spirit to reveal them. Because he's not going to reveal them with condemnation. He's just going to say, there's one. And, you're going to, and you can say, well, Lord. And then you address it. And you say, I don't have to have that. I have not been given the spirit of fear. I do not have a spirit of slavery again to fear. I'm not going back into slavery to fear. I'm a child of God. My spirit cries, Abba, Father. You know, if you think about that, he's talking about the antidote to the fear of being rejected by God is the spirit within you that cries Abba. Because Abba is a term of intimacy. Abba is a term of family. And so uh, he, he says, here's the cure to fearing you're going to go back into sin or that sin's going to dominate you. Your spirit says, Abba, Father, the Holy Spirit bearing witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. So, if I'm a child of God, see, one of the problems, um, a theological problem is the King James Version uses the word adoption. And in our culture, uh, adoption is something that happens to people who don't, whose natural parents, for one reason or another, are not in the picture. And so, they get taken into a family, but every adopted kid knows uh, uh, they're adopted and they're not really blood relatives. And the only person I know who that hasn't affected negatively is Ray Blackburn. Because her father so doted on her and loved her that she never felt like she didn't have a father. Now, if a, <clears throat> if a fallen human being can replace the missing love of the father, how much more our father can replace the love and make people feel like sons and daughters of God. But we've got to get our minds renewed to it. Because our minds are programmed to fear the presence of God. And, and you know, I know if Jesus appears to people, they get intimidated and they fall on their face, and I'd probably do the same thing. But what people don't seem to notice is every time he's, he, they do that, he says, fear not. <laughs> See, we're, so, we're on the sin-conscious side. We like to revel and false humility. And actually it's an unrenewed mind. Because we're created to be welcome in his presence. We're created to rest in the righteousness he has provided. Oh, I heard a, I read a beautiful illustration of this from a, a woman who was healed in, I think about 1879, and then began a faith and healing journal. Um, she was saying that so often when people are looking to God for healing, they don't feel like they can come to him because they're, they're looking uh, for, the, for the work of how far the Holy Spirit has progressed in conforming them to Christ to judge their righteousness rather than looking to the finished work of Christ to judge their righteousness. And that's a very subtle thing. Well, I just don't feel like I've matured enough. What, you're not right with God by how far you've matured. You know, you, your righteousness is a gift of grace. And it's never going to not be, you know. Because uh, sometimes we think, I, I'm, I'm saved now. I've got a responsibility to grow up. Well, if you take that responsibility, it'll hinder your growth. But if you cast that care on the Lord, 
Jesus said in, I think it's Matthew 5, he said, uh, rich man by taking anxious thought can add one cubit to his stature. In other words, can grow. And um, anxiety hinders growth. And fear of unworthiness is anxiety toward God. And it hinders growth. It hinders, uh, you know, we have, to get, uh, we have to get a hold of this idea that uh, everything that brings forth change is grace working in us. The minute we tighten up, loosen up, or tighten up and get anxious and concerned about our spiritual growth, we're stopping growth. Because you can only let God's grace work in you. Well, let me, let me say, God's, God's grace is, is, is marvelous. He'll work in us when we're st- still striving, and he'll help us and to do all kinds of things. But the, the goal of Christian living is to enter into rest in the Father's love and let ministry flow out of that. You know, and um, looking at other people and their gifts and not knowing your own gifts is going to cause anxiety and comparison and things that are fierce. Well, I'm not good enough. You see this sometimes with intercessors. Uh, different, there are different kinds of intercessors. I was really glad when a book came out on the, the various types of intercessors. It listed about 12 different types. Well, uh, I, could, I was doing a lot of intercession uh, seminars and meetings at one time, and what you'd see is, gosh, I just don't have what sister so-and-so has. And, and uh, you know, they were obviously a different kind of intercessor, which the kind they were, they did very well. But not knowing there was different kinds and different ways God gifts people for intercession, they're feeling like if I don't do what, what Cindy Jacobs does, I'm not a, a good intercessor. Or if I don't do what uh, some other person in our area and, and uh, uh, social setting do, then you know, if I don't have a lot of dreams and visions. Well, some of, the, some of the best intercessors don't have a lot of dreams and visions. But if you look at, you know, but, but intercessors who do are pretty quick to share them and usually have them in, in, in a large amount. And so you can get intimidated by that. Well, of course... Uh, I was kind of relieved to, to uh, hear uh, Dutch Sheets when ministering with uh, 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 Chuck Pierce. Well, well uh, you know, Dutch said, Chuck has about a vision a minute, you know, and I don't get visions hardly all, and when I do, they're, they're pretty significant, but I don't get many. And there's the clear distinction between the apostolic and the prophetic. Now, that isn't that an apostle cannot be a prophet as well, but sometimes they're... Um, I've noticed a lot of apostles are teachers. This, this was a verse the Lord gave me at the beginning of my battle, Isaiah 43, as a promise to me. Um, when you go through the waters, you, I will be with you. Do you know, did you notice that he doesn't say you won't have the trials, but he'll be with you? Yeah, when you do. How about if? Let's put an if in there, Lord. No. I th- I've learned that he's got it right. Um, 
when you walk through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burnt. Uh, nor shall the flames scorch you. So he promises that, that you will go through hard times. But he'll be with us. And he has redeemed, and we should not fear. For I have redeemed you. I think God, you know, is, is like calling the things that are not as though they were. Um, another verse I want to look at is Luke 1, which illustrates this uh, principle. It's quite an amazing prophetic passage. Luke 1. Uh, this is Zechariah, uh, filled with the Holy Spirit, prophesying. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Now, Christ isn't born yet. And he's still got to grow up to the age of 30 before he can minister. Yet the prophetic word is he has visited and redeemed his people. Well, God is prophesying what's to be in the form of a declared statement. Uh, that was just a side thought. But what I want you to see uh, is... Um, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets who have been since the world began who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to the fathers uh, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. The, the intention of God in the new covenant through Christ is that we might serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. So, um, uh, as, as the seed of Abraham, uh, we are to be delivered from the hands of our enemies that we might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him. That word before there uh, is an interesting word. It means before the face of someone. So you're called before the face of God in righteousness and holiness. I could get excited. And he made a covenant and swore an oath to this end. So, so you really have, um, I mean, it's, it's like the more I read the Bible, the more I realize I've never read the Bible. Because the, 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 it just reeks of good news. And, and uh, so, so many of us, uh, you know, I'm, part of my cry is, Lord, You've done all this for us. Somebody's got to enter into it. Um, 
I'm volunteering. Amen. Well, that's kind of the wild crew that seems to want all that God they can get. Um, delivered from the hand of our enemies and is fear our enemy. Yes, it is. It's, um, it's under the one who had the power of death. So anyway, I just wanted to, this morning, just wanted to kind of open this up, give you some scriptures to think about. And um, I found it very, very helpful to realize. And uh, as, as we proceed on this, uh, in fact, I, I may re-preach it uh, <clears throat> Sunday morning because it, it will take time to, to sink in and... Um, I believe the Spirit will do a work in our hearts to reveal these things so that uh, we become tuned to the enemy's tactic against us. And it'll be especially relevant to those who have a, <clears throat> like a serious healing need or something like that because the devil waters down our faith by getting us to fear. Uh, fear tolerated is faith contaminated. So... We'll close her for today. Thank you for listening to the Empowering Grace podcast featuring pastor and author Joe McIntyre. Visit our show notes page on empoweringgrace.org for a full transcript of this episode and more from Joe on this topic. If you like this podcast, please consider leaving a rating or review. Thank you.